This morning, as we continue in the What's in a Name series, I want to introduce you to someone that you may have heard of before. His name is well known, but I asked people the last few months uh, about him, what he was known for. Just randomly, I would ask people, I would ask complete strangers, hey, what could you tell me about this person? And they couldn't really give me a solid answer. I asked some of you, and everyone that I talked with knew that this person had been sentenced to death. They knew that. They knew that he had helped out Jewish people during Hitler's reign, but no one could really kind of give me the whole story about this individual. It it seems that we just know bits and pieces of the man who was known as Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I decided this wasn't going to work for me since I'm planning on using him as an illustration today, so I began to dig around. I I wanted to get to know this man, and I found out some interesting things about he and his family that, in my opinion shed some light on his life that also parallel with the names of God and Jesus that we're going to look at today. Did you know, for example, that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a twin? Didn't know that. He had a sister. Uh, He was born just before his twin sister, so he was the older twin, but I guess really he was the younger twin because they rotate. But anyhow, he was, he has a twin. His father, Carl, was Berlin's leading psychiatrist and neurologist from 1912 until his death in 1948. Dietrich was so skilled at playing the piano for most of his young, young adult life, his parents and he thought he was going to be a professional musician. But at age 14, he announced matter-of-factly to his family that he was indeed going to become a theologian. That's one thing that most people could tell me about him. Well, he was a preacher of some sort. He was some kind of preacher, and he didn't agree with Hitler's ideals But he worked for Hitler. That was most of what I got when I asked people about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Interestingly enough, he earned his doctorate in theology at 21 years old. Later in life, he became an outspoken advocate for pacifism. But, this cracks me up, he was an enthusiastic bullfighting fan. He apparently served uh, as an assistant pastor of a German-speaking congregation in Barcelona, Spain, and fell in love with the sport of bullfighting, but was outspoken about pacifism and and not hurting people. I thought that was kind of funny. By the end of 1930, the year before he was ordained, church seminaries were complaining that over half the candidates for ordination were followers of Hitler. And in 1933, the government instigated a one-day boycott of Jewish-owned businesses. Bonhoeffer's grandmother broke through the line of SS officers to peacefully walk into a Jewish store and buy strawberries. There's a point to all this. In his short life, he traveled widely. He visited Cuba, Mexico, Italy, Libya, Denmark, Sweden, among other countries, and he lived for a time in Spain, England, and here in the United States. He taught a confirmation class in what he described as about the worst area of Berlin he'd ever seen, yet he purposely moved into that neighborhood so he could spend time encouraging the young men in that community. He served as a member of the Abwar, the military intelligence organization under Hitler. He was actually a double agent. Some people knew that. He worked for Hitler but didn't agree with him. He was a double agent. While working for the Abwar, he helped to smuggle Jews into Switzerland and to do many other underground tasks. He studied also for a year in New York City. He also he said that he was disappointed in the preaching he heard in New York City. He said, One may hear sermons in New York upon almost any subject, 
One subject only is never handled, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the cross, of sin, and forgiveness. While a student at Union Theological Seminary in New York, he regularly attended the Abyssinian Baptist Church in Harlem. He taught there. He taught a youth class uh, once a week. He taught a women's Bible study, and he also helped out weekly in Sunday school. Bonhoeffer learned to drive a car in the United States, yet he failed his American driver's license examination three times. So there's hope for you. Most of our high schoolers are not here, but let them know there's hope. They can still get their license. Bonhoeffer directed an illegal seminary for two and a half years until it was closed by the Gestapo. The seminary secretly trained pastors for what they called the Confessing Church, and this is what really impressed me about him. It was a group that Bonhoeffer and others had formed as an alternative to the Nazi-influenced German Reich. I told you that before, as he was being, uh, uh, becoming, getting his doctorate, that churches were complaining that everyone was, was falling into the churches um, of the, the German Reich churches. But this seminary was something that he developed, and it's also a place where he wrote the book, The Cost of Discipleship. Just before World War II, he was invited to lecture in the United States, it allowed him to escape increasing persecution and the draft. But Bonhoeffer decided he must share the fate of those suffering in Germany. He had an out. He was safe. But he, he thought, it's not right for me to stay here while my family and my friends are going through these things. So in less than a month, he returned home. And in 1936, because of his anti-Nazi views, he was no longer permitted to teach at the University of Berlin. Two years later, he was forbidden to live in Berlin. In 1940, the German authorities forbade him to speak in public. You've done something when they tell you you're not allowed to open your mouth in public. And he had, he had to report regularly to the police. He was engaged to be married, but he was arrested and eventually killed before he and his fiancée could be married. During Allied bombing raids over Berlin, his calm and peacefulness deeply impressed his fellow prisoners and the guards at the Tegel prison. Stories say that prisoners and even guards would do anything they could to just get near him and find comfort of exchanging a few words with this calm, peaceful man of God. The majority of his, his classic letters and his papers from prison were smuggled out by guards who chose to assist him and help him. History tells us that he could have escaped from prison, but he chose not to for the sake of others. He had prepared to escape with one of the guards. They were going to smuggle him out of prison. And he learned that his brother had been arrested and was being held somewhere else. And fearing what they would do to his brother and his brother's family, if he escaped, he chose to stay in prison and endure those hardships. The German underground failed on numerous occasions to assassinate Hitler. Had they succeeded, Bonhoeffer would probably not have been executed. Adolf Hitler was directly involved in the decision to execute him. And his co-conspirators, his brother-in-law, or excuse me, his brother Klaus and two of his brothers-in-laws were also executed for their roles in the resistance movement against Hitler. Some of his best-known works, the ethics and letters and papers from prison, weren't published until after his death. Sad thought, sad thing about Bonhoeffer, his parents didn't learn of his death until three months, three and a half months afterwards, when they tuned into a radio broadcast of a London memorial service for their son. One of the things I found to be unique about Dietrich Bonhoeffer is in everything I read was repeatedly the words calm, peaceful, rational, 
Those words were always used to explain him. And it dawned on me, he was able to go through all the things that he went through in his life with a peace and a calm because he knew and lived out in his life what I want to share with you all today. He knew Jehovah Shalom. He knew and he believed that the Lord is peace. Whether he was in prison, whether he was traveling, whether he was preaching, whether he was speaking to young men in Berlin, wherever he was, he knew the Lord is peace. He knew Shiloh. Shiloh means Jesus is our promise to peace. He knew these things and he understood them and he, he depended on his understanding of God and Jesus. And I want you to know and depend on these things too. Say this with me. Say, Jehovah Shalom. That means the Lord is peace. Shiloh. Say Shiloh. Now say that again. Say Shiloh. Shiloh. Means Jesus is our promise to peace. One word. Jesus is our promise to peace. Shiloh. Let me ask you this question. Where do you go? Where do you turn to when you're in distress? Where do you run to when you're in trouble? Where do you go when you're full of anxiety? Who do you go to when you're in pain, physical pain or mental pain? Who do you seek counsel from when you're struggling with worry and fears? Not too long ago, I found myself in a situation of what I would now define as deep distress. And some of you may remember I was going through a lot of different things. I was going through a lot of physical pain. That physical pain brought with it lack of sleep. That lack of sleep brought on a physical and mental exhaustion that I'd never experienced before. There, there was not enough coffee or caffeine or energy drink that could help me sort out the exhaustion that I was feeling. I felt sometimes as if the pressure of, of all that was just going to push me through the floor. I remember telling Mitzi one evening, I said, you know, I wake up defeated every day. I'm exhausted because of the pain. I wasn't sleeping. It was all I could do to get through a day without losing my temper. I couldn't focus on anything for more than a few minutes. Those who worked closely with me will not tell stories of these things, but they saw me in this non-focused place, which now is funny when we look back and talk about it. But there were moments where I don't know how they were able to stay with me as we went through some of the things we did. But I had this lack of focus. I had this, this exhaustion. I had this, this burden just pressed on me. And while I was in the process, I was seeing doctors and they were trying to figure out all the things that were wrong with me. It's kind of funny to say that now. Uh, a mentor friend of mine, Scott Blount, happened to come through town for a short visit. And he said to me, doctors are good, but you need to be asking God for peace for you and your family during this time. Because there's nothing you can do about it except find out what's wrong but during this time, you need to be asking for peace for you and your family. He said, you need to seek out an opportunity of rest for your whole family, not just for yourself. It was shortly after that conversation that brought my family forward. and I asked you all here to be praying for us. It was also during that time that I realized I couldn't go to any person for what I needed and for what my family needed. But I had to go to the Lord. I had to have the mind of God on this matter, if you will. And I don't, I don't share this with you to be like, oh, look at how holy I am. I share this with you to let you know your preacher is messed up and he struggled with things for a while. But I knew where I had to go and I spent many hours alone with God. Oddly enough, they were prescribed hours. 
I had a doctor that told me part of my problem was oxygen deprivation due to sleep apnea. So they put me in a hyperbaric oxygen therapy chamber two hours a day, five days a week. Some days I'd watch a movie, but most days I would lay there and cry out for peace, for endurance. My, my prayer was strength for the day and bright hope for tomorrow. I wasn't sure when tomorrow was going to come. I had sores on my feet. My, my legs were, were tore up. My, my whole body was just in a lot of pain, and it was, there was no focus. And I just kept saying, strength for today. Let me, let me get through today and, and a, a hope for tomorrow. I prayed so much. For, I prayed for Mitzi while I was in that tank, and I prayed for her to have a sense of understanding what I was going through because, as you know, if you're married and you're hurting, your spouse is hurting because they can't fix it. And men, we become babies. It's almost our wives can't fix it with ice cream, you know. And, but it's, it's rough. And I just prayed for her to have an understanding of what I was going through. I prayed for forgiveness, for my attitude. Anger was, was becoming an issue. Uh, poor judgment caused by fatigue and how I handled things. Some days I felt like Hezekiah in the face of the Assyrians. I, I would just spread out my situation before the Lord every day for two hours. I would lay there and just unload on Jehovah Shalom. Waiting for Shiloh. Asking for peace. Like I can tell you, after 45 days and approximately 90 hours of prayer, he heard my prayer every time I prayed. I want you to know that, but... And, and after some physical changes in my life, the fog of the anxiety and the frustration and the, the physical pain began to lift from my body and from my heart and my mind, and these things began to fade, and the path ahead was very clear. And instead of distress for things not getting done, I felt peace for the first time in a long time. I want you to know during that time frame, our elders were praying for me and my family. They were encouraging me. They were allowing me to do whatever I needed to do to get myself back to 100%, to bounce back, if you will. And for the first time in a long time, I began to feel peace. And I want to tell you this, and the reason I tell you all this is it all is about to wrap up here. As grateful as I am for the prayers of my wife, for my healing and, and strength, as grateful as I am for the prayers from my church family, those of you who prayed for my family during that time, I had friends, I had godly counselors, and as grateful as I am for all of those things, I was really glad that during this season of my life, I was able to run to the Lord. Instead of turning left or right for a refuge, I went straight into the strong tower of peace in His name. I don't tell you all that so you think something better of me than what you should. I tell you that because I know that every one of you at some level is going through something. Whether it's physical, whether it's mental, whether it's mistakes, whether it's work. Everybody in this room is struggling with something. I want to encourage you to seek out the peace of God. I want to encourage you to find Shiloh. Our promise for peace is Jesus Christ. There were times where I felt like Gideon. I discovered firsthand, you know, God is Jehovah Shalom. He's the Lord is peace. And in these dark hours, I discovered this and and in the same thing for Israel, they were in a dark place. And Gideon, God reveals himself to Gideon as Jehovah Shalom. It's in Judges chapter 6. Gideon was the first one to call on the Lord by that name. Gideon was the one that gave God the name Jehovah Shalom. He taught that it's your peace. By every standard, this young man was an unlikely candidate for divine revelation. 
His family, the Bible says that his family was the least in Manasseh. And it's kind of like saying you just don't matter in the, in the genealogy of things. Scripture actually says in Judges 6, 6, that Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Why were they so low? It's not difficult to guess. Gideon, uh, Judges 6, 1 through 2 says, The sons of Israel did what was evil in, their, in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. The power of Midian prevailed against Israel. The Lord gave them into the hands of Midian. Why? Because they were doing what was right in their own eyes. The power of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves dens in the mountains and caves where they hid. It's funny that when the hour is dark, when your situation is desperate, when you are humbled and finally brought very low, whether it's physically or mentally or or through a relationship or something, we finally begin looking up, longing for God's peace. And and trembling, we, we grope through the darkness, longing to know that all will be well that it will be well with our soul. I was going through all that stuff, and I had a minister friend of mine ask me, how is your soul? Of course, I responded, it is well. That's what the song says. He said, no, you're, you're praying for peace. He said, how's your soul in all this? I said, we don't think about things like that. How are you? Is it really well? No matter what's going on in your life, is there the peace of Shiloh? You know, we find Gideon, he wants to know that things are going to be well, and the angel of, of Jehovah appeared to Gideon. He's in the dark confines of a wine press, and the Bible says he's threshing wheat in secret to protect it from invaders. Now, I am not an expert on ancient Near Eastern agriculture, but I do know this. You do not thresh wheat in a wine press. You press grapes in a wine press. See, the idea behind threshing is you separate the heavier grain from the lighter chaff, and you need open air to do that. And you need a good breeze, and so you, you would shake it, and the heavier grain would settle, and the chaff would float away. And he's doing this in a wine press. Israel was desperate. I think we all know that when you get to a place of desperation, you do desperate things. When you're hungry, when you're afraid, when you're exhausted. When you're in pain. Judges 6, 12 through 14 says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. God just told the least of Manasseh that I am with you and called him a valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying... Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? I want to encourage you to read Judges chapter 6 sometime this week because at first Gideon questions this angel. He complains about his circumstances. How could God love Israel? Look at me. I'm, I'm hiding in a wine press. I'm threshing wheat. I'm the least of these. We've been attacked. We're, we're under submission for seven years to this other country. 
How could God really care about Gideon? How can God really care and love Israel when they're in such distress and danger and poverty? And so Gideon asked for a sign and God provided those signs. And then Gideon took a small army and he defeated the enemy of God in a great battle using torches and broken pottery. Man, he came face to face with Jehovah Shalom. In that peace, he found victory for God. He found victory for Israel. He found victory for himself and his family. On that same token, Jesus is our promise to peace. In John chapter 16, we get a glimpse of the peace that Jesus brings. He, he tells his disciples about his coming death and resurrection. They're questioning him about it. And he says this to them. Now keep in mind, Jesus knew what was to come. He knew what they would do. He knew what his disciples would do during these final days. He knew that his death and his resurrection was going to happen. And this is what Jesus tells his disciples. He says in verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of that joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Verse 23 says, In that day you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be made full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak, in, speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you, that I will request of the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? And here it is, verse 32. This is Shiloh talking. The peace of Jesus. Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you so that in me, say this with me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Take courage. I have overcome the world. Did you hear that? Did you really hear that? Did you, I know your, your ears heard it. I know your mind heard it. Did your soul hear it? Take courage. I have overcome the world. Jesus said that to his disciples, knowing that they would deny him, knowing that they would desert him for a moment, knowing they would run and hide. And he says, I have spoken to you that in me 
you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Shiloh, our peace. Our world is messed up. There is no question that there's tribulation and there are things going on in our world. You may have never lived in a war zone like Gideon where you've had to hide to provide something for your family. But you can probably relate to being in a stressful situation that presses the very core of your being. Maybe you need to change to whom you turn for comfort, for peace and security. It's time to call on Jehovah Shalom. He will meet you wherever you are. He'll meet you in the darkness of a wine press. He'll meet you wherever you are. You may never be face to face with a Roman guard who is, who is prepared to beat you or put you in jail or execute you for your belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we've all had moments of doubt and disbelief and physical and mental pain. We've all suffered something in this life. Jesus told us the world will, you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Maybe it's medical issues, maybe it's family issues, maybe it's just struggles to overcome addiction. I want you to know, Gideon, that wherever you are hiding, Jehovah Shalom knows you. And Shiloh will come to you. The God of peace knows where you are, and he has plans for you, mighty warrior, not to continue to hide. Whatever your struggle, your struggle does not define you. Your trust in the peace of Jesus Christ defines you. So rise up from your wine press and come out. Let the God of peace lead you through whatever battle you're about to go on. Come to Shiloh. Whatever your struggle, the goal is restoration between you and God or you and your spouse or you and whoever. The, the reality is, I think a loose translation of in the world there will be tribulation is that we all do dumb stuff. A lot of our tribulation is brought on ourselves. I think it's one of the reasons Jesus refers to us as sheep, but that's another sermon. The goal is restoration. Our Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is our promise to peace. As we come to our response time this morning, if you are in need of that peace, peace that only Jehovah Shalom can deliver, will you respond accordingly? Maybe if you, like a sheep, you've, you've gone astray, you've gone out, you've done dumb things, you've wandered off a little bit, and it's time to come back, Respond to Shiloh, return to our good shepherd, return to our savior, return to our promise to peace. It's never too late to start again. Maybe for you, the response is submission through baptism for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The baptistry is ready. Maybe for you, there's a need for prayer of restoration or or trust in a situation that you're going through and you just need peace with it. Our elders are here. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to encourage you through whatever it is you may be dealing with. You're not alone. There's no need to hide. Whatever your response is, will you stand and sing our response song and respond to our God of peace accordingly? It's been great to be here with you all, to worship with you, to pray with you, to reach out to Jehovah Shalom today. It's time to go, though. As you go this week, go knowing Shiloh. 
Jesus is our promise to peace. I, I, no matter what you're going through, Mike said in his prayer that the peace comes from knowing that, that God knows what's going on. I was, I was told once that what I'm going through is no surprise to God. And it's the same for all of us. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're going through. Allow his peace to give you strength through this season. And as you go this week, go following the promises that Jesus is our promise to peace. Have a great week. Sing this last song with us.